Listeners, before we dive into our show today, I want to share something truly enlightening with you. A cozy spot in Midtown Toronto where the future of wellness isn't a pill or a potion, but something as simple and pure as light. I'm talking about the Toronto Light Therapy Clinic. And the best part is it's owned by an alumnus. And this is not just any clinic. We're talking about two fully furnished treatment rooms, each one a little oasis of calm right in the heart of the city. Imagine stepping into this space, ready to experience the transformative power of red light and infrared light therapy. They've got the latest gear to make sure you're getting the full body treatment. You didn't even know you needed. And the team is top notch. The certified staff at the clinic are committed to tailoring a wellness journey just for you, starting with a complimentary consultation. Whether you're seeking to rejuvenate your body, enhance your health, or simply bask in the glow of light therapy, they're there to guide you every step of the way. Remember, your comfort and transformation are their top priorities. I know it was when I was there. So visit torontolighttherapy.ca to book your session or learn more about their services. So why not embrace the radiant path to well-being? Give it a try, and I promise you'll see the light. Now, what do you want to do, you know, to create this kind of environment as a chef, as a leader? Camaraderie is everything. Everything. Two customers, late 40s, half a bottle of wine. One taste that, one a la carte. One place a fork on the floor. They're here. We do what we do, and we do it together. Is rice, so it is the starch, and it doesn't go really with pasta. The work is often brutal, degrading, underpaid, underappreciated, and you were working in an uncomfortable, hot, smelly workspace. It's closer to a British carbonara. Oh, no. Oh, well, fine. I'm glad you're standing there. Do you agree? If my grandmother had wheels, she would have been a bike. It helps if you feel, at the end of the night, like an elite. Without camaraderie, you don't have pride. Without pride, you have bad food. My name is Patrick Chris. I'm the chef and owner of Valo Food Group. I graduated in 99. My favorite class was probably Mrs. Root's art class in probably grade 12. And standout memory, probably hanging out by the Brimley doors with my friends. Welcome back to The Bluff. We've been keeping you connected to all things Newman for a while now, but for those of you who may have forgotten, our mission is to bring you interviews with current and former staff and students to keep you informed about our rich history as the Scarborough High School by The Bluffs. We have quite a treat on the menu today, something our patrons of Audio Delights are sure to appreciate. This gastro god has been featured on the national CTV and breakfast television, just to name a few, as well as numerous print media and online outlets the world over. It's an honor to have him here on the bluff, and we're thrilled he took the time to sit down and chat about his world. So, 
Chef Patrick Chris, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, been looking forward to it. It's taken a while. It's not every day that we have a Michelin rated chef on the show. And and just by the way, like, do I call you chef or Patrick? Like, what what's the decorum here? Just call me Patrick. I don't need to be called chef. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you graduated, was it two years before me or a year? I don't remember. Yeah, I graduated in 99. Okay, so we would have been at the school at the same time during the 90s. Yeah. Those were some good years. Um, do you mind if we just dive right into the interview? Are you ready? Yeah, all good. You are the founder and owner of the Aloe Group. Uh, your restaurant, Aloe, was awarded Toronto's Best Restaurant in Toronto Life and Canada's Best Restaurant in 2017. You've also been named Outstanding Chef on numerous occasions. And your restaurant ranks on San Pellegrino's list of the world's 50 best restaurants. Uh, that's amazing. Um, you also recently won something truly rare in the restaurant business, I think, a Michelin star. That's uh, incredible. Uh, I've heard the restaurant business is not easy, to say the least. But as a segue to my first question, you, you'll have to forgive me as there's a bit of setup here. I want to play a clip from the movie The Big Night with Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub, where the two brothers, Primo and Secondo, owners of a failing restaurant in America, are talking about a special guest coming to the restaurant. What's the matter with you? Are you sick? People should come just for the food. I know. Primo, I need your help here, okay? Louis Primo is coming. He's not just some guy. He's famous. Famous. Is he good? Uh, he's great. People should come just for the food. I know that. They should come just for the food. I know that. I know. But they don't. They should come just for the food. I know, but they don't. So I guess my question is, is it just the food? Should people come just for the food or do restaurants need to have something else? It's the sum of everything. It's food, it's hospitality, it's service, it's cocktails, wine, it's the music, it's the vibe, it's the room. If it's just food, it'll probably eventually fail. People will come for the food, but they'll come back for everything else. When we open restaurants, we always say that we want people to come in. And if they're there for an hour or there for three hours, kind of pretend they're on vacation, forget about life, forget about the world, come in and enjoy themselves, be taken care of. And then when they come back, they're going to have the same experience. You know, we always want to be consistent with our experiences. And if you really like the steak or you really like that piece of fish, when you come back in a month or two months or three months, it's going to be the same. So it's not just the food. There are many factors that go into making a restaurant a success, but Restaurants fail. Yeah. Restaurants have failed. What are some of the reasons that those restaurants fail? To be honest with you, I don't really look at what other people do. I kind of look at what we do and look at ourselves in the mirror and worry about ourselves. If people want advice, they can come call me. But I like to make sure that our staff are good, our customers are good, keep pushing us in a forward direction. And we're always tweaking business, right? If it's a restaurant or if it's a shoe company. I'd say always making these little tweaks, listen to the staff and listen to the customers and what they want. See what doesn't work. Don't be too stuck in your mindset. Don't be too, you know, if something doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. Get your ego out of the way and tweak it and keep moving forward. So being adaptable mm -hmm. to changes and being open to changes, putting the ego away is one thing. But what are the keys to success if you had to, if you had to put a, a label on them, if you had to put them down, what would they be? Probably building a great team. And putting trust in your team because you can't do everything and look at what you're not good at and hire people that are good at things you're not good at. 
Find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Bluff 416 or check us out on Facebook at The Bluff Podcast. Keeping alumni, current staff and students connected to life on the bluff. The Michelin star rating and the Michelin guide were introduced by Michelin in the early 20th century as a way to promote their tire business and encourage people to travel and explore new places. The first Michelin guide was produced in 1900 and initially provided information about hotels, restaurants, and other travel services for motorists in France. The guide began to include restaurant reviews in 1926 and the Michelin star rating system was introduced in the same year to denote restaurants that were particularly outstanding. One interesting fact about the Michelin Guide is that it was initially given away for free and only included information about France. It wasn't until 1920 that Michelin began charging for the guide and expanding it to cover other countries as well. Another lesser known story about the Michelin Guide is that during World War II, Michelin continued to publish the guide despite paper shortages and other difficulties. The company also used the guide to pass on messages to the French resistance, with information encoded in the descriptions of restaurants and hotels. Additionally, there are stories of chefs who have gone to great lengths to earn Michelin stars, such as the French chef who reportedly slept in his kitchen to ensure that his dishes were always perfect, and the chef who climbed onto his roof in the middle of the night to retrieve a fallen star from his restaurant's sign. It is one of the most prestigious awards to win as a restaurant, and they're awarded based on the quality of food, with three stars being the highest accolade. The Michelin Guide is published annually and has become a go-to reference for food enthusiasts seeking exceptional dining experiences. Welcome back to our interview with Chef Patrick. Chris, Patrick, I hear it's hard to find good people. Are there good people out there? I know that there's a shortage of uh, of help out there right now. People usually complain that there's no staff, but good people are everywhere. If you keep looking and if you keep giving people opportunities to grow with you, and they're always there. We've had, you know, our core team has been with us from day one. So my next question has to do with the perception that people have of a career in cooking or restaurant life uh, that they largely get from television. As a segue to that, I'd I'd love to know, have you ever been asked to be on one of those top chef shows before? I did top chef once too, as a judge. Well, that's pretty wild. And in terms of famous people at the restaurant, um, who's the most famous person you've had at the restaurant? We've had a lot of famous people. I try not to talk about our customers, but I don't know, Gordon Ramsay. That's so cool. And I hear he's a really nice guy and not at all like his uh, alter ego yeah. that we sometimes see on the TV. Super nice guy. Very nice guy. I love asking this next question because it often reinforces my own belief that nothing is as it appears on TV. Mm-hmm. Many of us have seen those competitive cooking shows that I referred to earlier, like uh, Master Chef, Top Chef, Iron Chef. They often present the world that you're in is a highly competitive one where the chefs are stressed out all day under pressure and yelling at each other, lots of yelling, invective and confrontation. Yeah. So I guess what I want to ask you is, is the restaurant business, is the restaurant world, anything like this from your experience, either as owner, chef, or during your education in cooking and cuisine? It's competitive. It's stressful, but it's not like that at all. In our kitchens, there's not much yelling. Um, 
But what you don't see is that like it glamorizes it, right? It's like celebrity status. But what they don't show is when you're working on your girlfriend's birthday or you have to work on your mom's birthday or you're working when all your friends are out for dinner. They also don't show the camaraderie that, you know, a good team in a kitchen, they come together and they have a great service. So no, it's not like that at all. And they also don't show, you know, at Allo, we have one tasting menu. So people are doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's not always glamorous. It's, sometimes it's kind of boring because you're doing the same thing, right? TV is TV. They don't really capture the behind the scenes, the real nitty gritty of what it is that you guys do. They don't show an owner uh, calling the plumber. <laughs> <laughs> Restaurant maintenance isn't something people want to see on TV. Yeah, exactly. The Bluff Podcast is produced and recorded for St. John Henry Newman Catholic Secondary School in Scarborough. Do you cook at home? Is that something that a chef, you know, who works all day in restaurants, in kitchens, is that something that you do when you get home? I don't cook for myself. I'll cook for like birthdays or Christmas, like go to my mom's house for Christmas and I was barbecuing mm-hmm. lobster and mm-hmm. steak or I'll cook a big meal for my son on his birthday or something like that. But do I cook a meal for myself? No, I don't do that. What about uh, takeout, ordering out? Yeah, I'll go out for dinner or I'll order in. But when you do cook for yourself, what do you uh, what do you really like to do? What I really like to do is cook on the barbecue. So like burgers and steaks and ribs and stuff. So I, that would kind of be my go to. How do you strike that balance between, you know, your business life, your your restaurant life and your personal life with friends and, and family and whatnot? How do you how do you strike a balance there? It's impossible. I don't think there is any balance. Someone's going to be successful and open a business and have it grow and. When people want work-life balance, I think if you're going to take that route, it's, it's impossible. We always have this sneaking suspicion that we need balance, but we also know deep down that it's truly impossible to have a perfect balance between the two worlds. Yeah, and you have to sacrifice. Life is about sacrificing. And sometimes if you feel like you don't have the balance, you have to be a touch selfish and figure it out. But you can't blame other people if you don't have much balance. It's true. It's up to you to figure out the balance part. So if you could take us back for a moment, uh, back to the beginning, maybe give us a sense of the timeline. So when you were finished here in high school, did you immediately get into the restaurant world? Did you start uh, chefing immediately, cooking, things like that? Or or how did that go down? No, I went to university. I have a history degree. No, you see, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I went to York and realized quickly that I wasn't really the greatest student. Mm-hmm. Uh I passed, I finished, and but at the time I was working as a, like a server bartender. Mm-hmm. Then I got into the kitchen once I uh, graduated university. Can you maybe expand on that a little bit? Like maybe paint a picture of, of how exactly that journey went for you. When I was in university, I was working at Rosedale Golf Course. And I worked there for a couple of years. And then when I finished history, I walked into the, to the chef and I said, hey, I want to work in the kitchen. So he kind of begrudgingly, no, no, I don't want to do that. He's just a server. So he let me in. And I worked there for two years and I did the apprenticeship program at George Brown, which I don't think it even exists anymore. It was only like six months. And then then from there, I worked at Auberge de Pommier, French restaurant just up the street. Worked there for a year and a half. And I then for I wanted to go to this restaurant called French Laundry in Napa Valley or Danielle in New York. So I cold called Danielle 
when I got a stage, which is like you go there, you work for a couple of days to see if they like you. So I flew out there and then I sent an email to the French to the French laundry every day for 30 days to try to get in. And uh, I got a letter saying we didn't have enough. We didn't have a room. So I kept the letter. It's still like it's in my apartment somewhere. And then um, I got the job at Danielle. And six months later, I moved to New York on September 10th and worked there for three years. Uh, they closed for a month for renovations. And when they closed, I went to France and worked at a couple of restaurants there and came back, worked at a few restaurants in Toronto. And amazing. And then one day I said, you know, it's time to do my own thing. Found some money, found a space and wow. opened out. What about mentorship in my own career? I think having the right mentors was a big positive uh, on me and, and a big push for me to improve uh, as a teacher. Um, what about yourself? Were there any mentors or people along the way that really helped push you and inspire you? The guys in New York were very big. Like Danielle, seeing Danielle, he was like one of the biggest chefs in the world and he's working every day. Jean-Francois and Eddie, the two chefs at Danielle and they were, you know, mm-hmm. there every day working, building their team, making sure the quality is there. But Danielle is like, you know, he's there all the time. He lives above the restaurant. He doesn't have to do that because he has a massive team, right? But he still works all the time. And that was a big one to see. Mm-hmm. You know, customers always right. Just not about the food, about, you know, delivering that customer experience. Mm-hmm. This was a huge one for me. Patrick, just a, a final question before you go. Um, what advice would you give young people today who are interested in getting into culinary arts, uh, your art, students who want to get into the restaurant business or, or into chefing or cooking? Uh, any advice for them? My advice is find a good restaurant that's busy and work there for three years, two years. Put your head down, shut up and work and work hard. And, you know, you have to make sure you make enough money to live and all that stuff. But in any young career, it's not about what you're making. Now you're trying to go from $18 to $22 an hour to 25. That's not really the goal. You know, put your head down, work hard, work with good people. And don't worry about anything else. It's kind of, and you're going to have to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice your friendships. You'll have to sacrifice if you want to go far in this industry. Well, look, Patrick, I do want to thank you again for taking the time to sit down and, and chat with me. I think we both would have loved to do it in person, but but we think we both know that your time is always of the essence. And I just want to thank you for taking a few minutes and sitting down with us today and telling us about your journey. Um, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And if anything, let me know need a reservation call me i think i'll have to take you up on that uh your restaurants are one of the hottest tickets in town so uh thanks again for being here take care patrick's journey shows us that being able to pivot and take a risk in life can lead to greatness if we're brave enough to take that chance his passion dedication and skill in the culinary arts are without doubt you don't get this far unless you're willing to give it all you got or as he said in the interview Just shut up, put your head down, and work at it. But success is rarely gained in isolation, so build a great team around you, of friends and colleagues that can help build you up and get you over the line. See the ability in others, and be humble enough to know what you lack and where you can improve. That's what I got out of this chat today. One more source of inspiration. One more story to show us where hard work, skill, and a little bit of luck can get you. 
All that and perhaps a reservation to a Michelin star rated restaurant. Thank you for tuning into The Bluff today. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We'll be back soon for another episode. Goodbye for now.